Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. My name is Tyler Morse, and I am the Assistant Director of Student Ministries here at LEFC. And I come to you with a difficult passage this morning, a difficult text in which it burdens me greatly, and it's very personal to me as well. So we're going to be in Matthew 7, verses 15 to 23. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn there. You can also head on to the YouVersion app. If you do not have a Bible, ushers are coming by right now, and they would love to give you one. Just put your hand up. So we're going to be continuing our series called Bonafide. And Bonafide just simply means a real and a genuine, in this instance, faith. A real and genuine faith. And we have been using the tagline, confronting superficial faith. And I cannot think of a better tagline to describe today's passage than confronting superficial faith. This is exactly what Jesus does. He makes a beeline straight to his hearers and straight into their hearts. And he directly exposes superficial faith in some of them. So I want to show you this. Let's read along in the passage. Verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. This, this passage, specifically verses 21 to 23, might be some of the most alarming passages in all of Scripture because it refers to a people who are so self-deceived that they thought they would come and enter the kingdom of heaven and be with the Lord forever for eternity, and they hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. These people thought that they were saved. They thought they had a relationship with Christ, and they thought coming before him on Judgment Day that they would spend eternity with him. So do you feel the weight of this passage? Do you feel the seriousness of this topic? 
It is of eternal significance. It is of a matter of spending eternal life with God or eternal death apart from God. Church, I come to you with a heavy heart this morning. I come to you with a sincere heart as well, one who loves you and cares for your soul, both that you might know him now and forever in the eternal kingdom of heaven. There is honestly nothing more that anguishes my soul, more than the person who thinks that they know Christ and doesn't. The person who thinks they're saved but isn't. And the reason why is because that was me. I was that person. Until the age of 19, if I had gone before the Lord, I would have heard these words, depart from me, I never knew you. I thought I was a Christian, I thought I was saved, I thought I knew Christ, but I did not. I was a fake. So hear me this morning, I, I do care. This comes out of a heart of care and of personal experience that I come to preach this passage. I don't desire for anyone to hear those words. Depart from me, I never knew you. So as we get into the passage, will you, will you spend time in prayer with me? Will you pray for me? Will you genuinely pray that the spirit of the living God would come and move in this room right now, in our hearts and in our minds, through his word? So let's pray. Spirit, we are all in need of you this morning. Me as I speak, everyone as we listen, we are all, all dependent on your spirit. You have to work, Lord. I ask that you would. Would you be gracious to open eyes, open ears, open hearts, and penetrate our hearts by your word, the sword of the spirit. Lord, we don't want to leave without encountering you this morning. Open our eyes Reveal if we have superficial faith this morning. In your name I pray, amen. So last week, Pastor Tony shared about two gates. The gate that leads to life and the gate that leads to eternal destruction. And when he was preaching, it was so interesting what I took away. The description of both of these gates. The description of the gate that leads to destruction is wide, broad, and many people enter it. Yet the gate that leads to life is small, narrow, and only a few enter it. I mean, this isn't very encouraging, is it? Many to destruction, few to eternal life. This is why I believe the flow of thought keeps going. And Jesus in verse 15 says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. He says, look out for false teachers and false prophets because they will seek to lead you away from the gate of life and towards the gate of destruction. He warns the people of what these false prophets' intention is to do. And that is take us away from the gate that leads to life. And boy, are these false prophets deceiving they come innocently. They come with sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. Just how deceptive are these false prophets? Jesus explains later in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, and he says, False Christs 
and false prophets will arise from among you and perform great signs and wonders, and they will lead many astray, if possible, even the elect. They will come with great power, very convincing signs and wonders, but they're false. They are ferocious wolves, and they will lead you to the gate of destruction. These, these false prophets are indeed false disciples. They're not true disciples of Christ, and therefore they speak and they act as such. False disciples, and therefore false prophets. Yet Jesus is gracious, and when he says, watch out, he gives us how to recognize them. He shows us how we can find who are the false prophets. So read with me in verse, uh, verses 17 through 20. He says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, thus by their fruit you will recognize them. How do you recognize a false prophet? By their fruit. So the question is, what is fruit? Well, this is clearly speaking of at least a fruit tree, right? So, so the fruit is the clearest sign, the most outward visible sign of the type of tree that it is. For instance, uh, there's going to be a picture on the screen. What type of tree would you say this is? Are you sure? Yeah, an apple tree, right? You can tell the kind of tree that it is by the fruit, I almost guarantee you, none of you looked at the branches or the leaves to determine what kind of tree that was. You looked at it according to the fruit. So in the same way, that's how we are to recognize false prophets. By their fruit, by their outward expressions of life and how they live. So to all teachers and prophets whom you come across, test and examine their words, look out for their fruit, watch their lives. Are they obeying God's commands? Are they living holy lives? Are they walking in step with the Holy Spirit? Because the answer to those questions may reveal if they are a false prophet or not. So Jesus warns his hearers back then, beware, watch out for false prophets. So I do the same to you this morning. There will be many, many prophets and teachers who sound good, who communicate very wonderfully, they'll even open the Bible and they might tag along some, some signs and wonders. They appear to be in sheep's clothing, but they're inwardly ferocious wolves. So watch out. They're on YouTube. They're on podcasts. They're on social media. They are all around us. Watch out for them. Look for their fruit. Test their words. Look at their actions in their lives in order that they may not lead you away from the gate of life. So examine them. Listen to what they say and recognize them by their fruit. Jesus continues his warning to false prophets and now broadens it a little bit to everyone. He now begins talking to false disciples in general. So I want to go back and I want to read verses 21, 22, and 23 together. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, 
many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I want to restate what I said earlier. This is a matter of eternal significance. Eternal significance, or in the words of verse 21, this is a matter of entering the kingdom of heaven. This is no small thing. Eternity with God is at stake here. I don't want to shortchange that. So let's start with the first half of this verse in 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So from this, we can conclude that there will be a people who will come before Jesus on that day, on judgment day, and they will say, Lord, Lord. They will address him, Lord, Lord. Which means they address him rightly. He is the Lord. It's interesting when you look at this phrase coupled together, Lord, Lord, in the New Testament, it mostly pertains to the instances that um, pertain to judgment day. So the scenario, the scene looks something like this. Judgment day comes, and a group of people come before him, they address him as Lord, or they come to him and say, Lord, Lord. And the answer that they receive most often is, depart from me, I never knew you, or I do not know where you come from. Now this is interesting, right? This seems to be in conflict with Romans chapter 10, verse 9, which says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. Romans 10 says, call the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Our passage this morning says, people address him as Lord, Lord, and they don't enter the kingdom of heaven. How do we reconcile these two? I'd like to go back to verse 21 and look at the second half of the passage. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The passage says, if you only call Jesus Lord and do not do what he says, this is the one who does not enter the kingdom of heaven. Merely talking or calling him Lord is not, uh, is not sufficient. He doesn't want just your lip service. He wants you to obey and to follow his commands. There's going to be a whole lot of people who will call Jesus Lord and they won't care an ounce for what he says to do. They'll claim to know Christ, but they won't care that he has called people to, to follow his commands. So it's clear, only calling him and addressing him as Lord is insufficient. We must indeed do the will of the Father. Because many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, and they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Because they did not do the will of the Father. I mean, we know this to be true, right? James chapter 2, faith without deeds is dead. If you claim to have faith, yet have no deeds, your faith is dead. You don't have faith. In the same manner, claiming Jesus' name and just addressing him, Lord, Lord, is not enough. We must show our allegiance to the Lord by how we live, by acting his will. So to this point, I believe most of you would be in agreement with me at this point. You, you would say, yes, true disciples are recognized by their fruit, by their actions, their words, their deeds, and by doing the will of God. That's how you know a true disciple. So the question then would become, if faith without deeds is dead, 
then shouldn't we start pursuing and trying to perform deeds? If we recognize true disciples by their fruit, shouldn't we start taking this whole fruit thing, bearing fruit thing seriously? If only claiming him as Lord, Lord isn't sufficient, shouldn't we then focus on, we better start doing his will? It seems to this point, or this point that God's word is saying, show the fruit, live the commands, display the godly life, and produce the deeds that prove your faith. Which is why verse 22 and 23 is such a shock. On, in verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, drive out demons, and perform many miracles? Didn't we do all the things? Didn't we do your will? Didn't we show the fruit? And he'll say to those people, I never knew you. Verse 21, or verse 22 says many. This is not a, a small group of people who just didn't seem to get it. They were a little bit clumsy and they must have missed it. It says many people on that day. They will expect to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. And instead they will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Upon expecting to enter the gates of eternal life, they will be cast aside to the gate of destruction where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many people will come and receive the shock of a lifetime. Notice what they come with. They say, Lord, Lord, and then they say, did we not prophesy and drive out demons and perform many miracles? We can, we can uh, discover two things out of this. One, they had the right doctrine. They addressed him as Lord, Lord. He is Lord. They addressed him correctly. They had the knowledge. They read the books. They had the facts. They even knew many things about Jesus. Not only did they have the right facts, the right knowledge, the right doctrine, the right theology, they also came with a pretty solid resume of deeds. I mean, I don't think, I, I know I've never driven out a demon or performed a miracle. Have you? They've got a pretty good resume here. I mean, if anybody's going to be saved, it's got to be these people who were displaying these works and these signs all in the name of Jesus. This is why Jesus' words are so shocking. He will look them dead in the eyes and say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, this would be an eternal shock to people. They'd say, what? I, I had the knowledge. I knew all about you. I did all the deeds, too. I called you Lord. I showed it through how I lived, and I did it all in your name. And Jesus' answer will still be the same. He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. See, this would have been me. These words would have been said to me. The only difference is that my list is a little bit different. My list before the Lord would have sounded something like this. Lord, Lord, I grew up in church. I tried to be a good person. I said a prayer when I was younger. May I enter your kingdom? I would have said, Lord, Lord, I know that Jesus lived. I knew that he died on the cross for my sins. I read my Bible. I tried to pray. I didn't really do any of the real bad sins that the world was doing. May I enter your kingdom, Lord? 
I would have said, Lord, Lord, I, I tried to stop sinning. I tried to obey you more. I tried to be a good Christian, a good person. May I enter your kingdom? And he would have told me, depart from me, I never knew you. So what's your list, LEFC? What list would you give on the day of judgment before Christ? If he were to ask you, why should I let you enter my kingdom? How would you answer? Would you come with all your knowledge? Would you come with all your doctrine, all your theology, addressing him, Lord, Lord? Or would you come with all your deeds, telling him of all the things that you did in his name, all the times you went to church and you helped this person out and you read your Bible, you did all the things. Would that be your list? It is not enough. It's not enough to know things, to know good doctrine and theology about God. It's not enough to come and offer all of your deeds, all your apparent tryings, and your fruit and your efforts. It is not sufficient to enter the kingdom of heaven. Even just claiming him, Lord, Lord, is not sufficient to enter the kingdom of heaven. The only sure and steadfast anchor for our soul on judgment day is the person and the work of Jesus Christ alone. To have a personal, intimate relationship with the Savior. For him to know you. For you to know him. See, if you haven't noticed already, this passage is not talking to the outside of these walls, pagan who cares nothing to do with Jesus. This passage is talking to religious people. The words, depart from me, I never knew you, is talking to religious people. The churchgoer, the one who looks like they have it all together, the one who's trying to be a good Christian, who has a lot of the Bible knowledge. LAFC, this passage is written for many of you. The warning is shared for many of you because many of you fit the religious audience whom Jesus would have been speaking to. And this is what makes this passage alarming and scary because it pertains to religious people. Because religious people can look clean on the outside and be full of filth on the inside. They can honor God with their lips, but have their hearts far from him. Religious people can look like whitewashed tombs, where outwardly it's all neat and tidy and clean, but inwardly it's full of dead bones. A religious person can know all the right information, have all the facts, have all the knowledge, yet still not personally know Jesus Christ. Religious people can look and talk just like Christians and be complete fakes. This is what I fell into. This is the deception I fell into, thinking that because I was a religious person, I must have known Jesus. This is what these people in, in verse 22 and 23 they fell into that deception. I don't want you to fall into the same deception. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to the church, he says, examine yourselves. Test to see whether you are in the faith. Or do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail to meet the test? including myself, there are so many of us who have assumed because we said a prayer back when we were six years old 
It is our golden ticket into the kingdom of heaven. Yet 10, 20, 40, 50 years later, there's no evidence of a changed heart. There's no evidence of the Holy Spirit. There's no fruit. There's no continual repentance. We just bypass the test and examination part because we think that what we do, what we know, and how we look somehow exempts us from this testing and examining. We think that that prayer that we said just wraps it all up and we're good to go and we don't ever have to think about it again. No, Paul says to an already founded church. He founded them five to six years earlier. So he writes 2 Corinthians five to six years later and then tells them, examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. I mean, think about it. There is no loss in testing or examining yourself. One outcome could be you find that you're in the faith. What joy, what assurance to come to go, I am in the kingdom and I will stand before him and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. What assurance can come from that? And then the other outcome is to find you are not in the faith. You have not entered the kingdom of heaven. What a gracious thing to find that out now. What a gracious thing to find out now instead of on that day, on judgment day, to hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you, when it's too late. Testing and examining yourselves is a win-win situation here. So out of this sermon, based on this text, based on the many religious people who are going to enter before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things? Would you examine yourselves? Would you test yourselves? Note, I'm not just preaching. I'm genuinely asking you, will you test and examine yourself to see if you know Christ and if Christ knows you? Will you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal if you have a superficial faith? To those of you who are considering this, say, okay, Tyler, you've convinced me. I'll test and examine myself. To those of you who feel the Spirit at work now, how do you then know if you're in Christ? If we're told to test and examine ourselves, how in the world do we know if we pass the test? Jesus' answer is simple. He says, you must be born again. John 3, verse 3, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Two verses later in verse 5, he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. This is what we're talking about. How do we know if we enter the kingdom of God? He says, this is how we know. If you are born of water and of the spirit, the answer is you must be born again. Not a physical birth, not another physical birth. It must be a spiritual birth. To be born again means to have the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, the third person in the Trinity, to come and dwell and enter you, to live inside of you, to come and radically change your heart, your mind, and your soul and create in you a new creation. 1 John 4, 13 says this. I love this. This is how we know, this is how we know we live in him and he lives in us. He has given us his spirit. 
So how do you know if you pass the test? How do you know if you're known by Christ? Is if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. If you have been born again. That's what it means to know Christ. That's what it means to be known by Christ. Christ knows you through the Holy Spirit. That's how he has an intimate and personal knowledge of you. And that's how reciprocated we have a personal knowledge of Jesus. So the question then becomes, have you been born again? Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? For if the Spirit does not live inside of you, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So in a moment during this last song, I'm going to give you time to examine yourselves, to test yourselves. When I'm done praying, our elders, our pastoral leadership team, and our prayer team are going to line up along the wall. The encounter room is going to be open. If you're in the stadium seating, there will be someone in the back row. They would love to pray with you. Hear the invitation in the heart to pray with you as you seek the Lord, as you examine yourselves, as you pray and ask the Holy Spirit, am I in the faith? Have I entered the kingdom of heaven? Am I known by you, Jesus? So as we sing the last song, I I urge you, wherever you are, wherever you are listening right now, would you reflect? Would you meditate? Would you cry out? Would you examine and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things in your life, to reveal if you are in the faith, if you are known by Christ. We are also going to put a slide up in the middle screen that's going to be titled, Signs of a Born Again, uh, Signs of Being Born Again. This is another tool as you reflect to ask yourselves, is the Holy Spirit working this in me? Are these things evident? Because these are the signs of being born again. So all in all, we will have people to pray with. We will be singing this song. We have this title, this screen, this slide on there. So any tool that you choose to use, would you test and examine? Would you pray? Would you reflect? Would you spend time with the Lord and ask the Spirit to move? I want to pray for our next few minutes, and then I'll give you time to reflect. So pray with me. Spirit. I believe that you're working in people's hearts now. Deeply in their hearts. I pray that the enemy would have no power, would not be able to snatch away the word that has been sown this morning. Guard us from the enemy, please. Spirit, open our eyes, open our hearts. Spirit of the living God, come now, speak to us. Move amongst us. We want to know you more. We want to know you deeper. Reveal in us if we have superficial faith and create in us a bona fide faith, a real and a genuine faith. Spirit, may you also bring assurance for those who have been born again. Spirit, we give you this time. Please work. Only by your power will we be able to discern these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. still.
sing these words.
that you have experienced the power and the spirit of the living God. The good news is he's not limited to this building. He's not limited to this service time. He is at work all around us. So I want to be clear this morning. If you have not been born again, you may not enter the kingdom of heaven. It is only through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, through the power of his spirit, that we might repent from our sins and place our faith and trust in him. So LAFC, are you known by Christ? Have you been born again? Does his spirit dwell inside of you? There's no better question to ask and no better answer to find than if the Holy Spirit dwells within you. So I pray that that spirit would be at work in you right now. That he would work this week for the rest of your lives that you would be led and guided by the Holy Spirit to give you eyes to see his kingdom around you and the kingdom at work inside of you. So go this week in the strength and in the power of the Spirit, and we hope to see you again next Sunday. You are dismissed.